the gospel according to Mark. Jesus said, In those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out his angels and gather from the elect, gather the elect from the four winds, the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Now from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth shoots, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Really, I'm telling you, this generation will not pass away until all of these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day and hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So beware, keep alert, because you don't know when the time will come. It's like a, a man going on a journey. When he leaves home, he puts his slaves in charge, each with their own work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on watch. Therefore, keep awake, because you do not know when the master of the house will come. In the evening, at midnight, cockcrow, or at dawn. Or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all. Keep awake. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You know, they say the more you learn, the less you know. Something about how much is unknown, how much is unknowable, and how little, how small is our human understanding. The capacity of any single one of us or even as humanity as a whole. A drop in the bucket. I think that's true when we approach the Bible, but especially a passage like this one. It seems so much clearer in a passage like this one. How really strange the Bible is. How different the people who would have been the first to hear this or those who even put pen to paper how different they were. How, uh, from our point of view, strange their worldview and what they expected, hoped for. Maybe though our experience is not so different from theirs. I mean, the people that Jesus was talking to or the people that this gospel was written to had experienced great traumas and great uncertainties in, in their own lifetimes. 
A lot of these words that Jesus speaks are not, uh, not fully predictions in the way that we would think about a prediction. But our, the writers of the gospel interpreting their own recent history in light of the words of Jesus and in light of the Bible before it. It's their interpretation of history and of their present that we are confronted with here. And there's a lot we don't know. I mean, Jesus himself is, is encouraging us to, to make a distinction between what we do know and what we don't know. What we do know, Jesus says, is that Christ will return. And it will be sudden and unexpected. The time will be unknowable. So don't let the anxiety about that future or a delay in Christ's return pull you away from your work. Watch, wait, work. It's a simple message. But I think that many, many well-meaning people of faith have overcomplicated the message by their attempts to know the unknowable into some great system and schema, something that is uncategorizable, unarrangeable, unknowable. I mean, those folks do not fully contend with the fact that what Jesus says here is different from what the writer of Revelation says. There is no new heaven and new earth in Jesus' telling of this story. Revelation says so, picking up from Isaiah, Daniel has a slightly different version, and so does Paul, in Paul's own different letters written over time. The efforts to synthesize this all into one, here is the history, the future history, that we will someday be enacting, and are we there yet? Too much. That's the unknowable. I think it's natural, though, that impulse. I mean, there's a mystery that Jesus is inviting us to be witnesses to. A mystery. Something not just that is unknown, that will soon be known, but something that is inherently unknowable, is ungraspable by our kind of reasonable, logical, rational ways of, of thinking and being. There's another way to engage this that isn't about solving an equation or fitting puzzle pieces together, but simply resting in the trust and the promises of God and the gulf between what we desire and what is true, the world as it is and the world as it should be, and entrust the reconciling of all those things, the holding it together and the bringing to fulfillment to God. Again, maybe definitely easier said than done. You know, when I think about mystery, I, re I remember 
maybe I've told this story before. Sarah, when we were dating, had hanging in her bathroom a, a quotation on the wall. And I would pause there in the bathroom for some time just puzzling over this thing. I mean, when Sarah and I first met, I was, uh, you know, recently from college, having studied engineering and computer science before history, having that logical, rational, every problem has a solution kind of mindset and training. And here's this quote that made me stop in the bathroom and just stare and puzzle at the wall for a while. Be patient with all that is unsolved in your heart. And try to love the questions themselves, like locked rooms and like books that are now written in a very foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given to you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything, to live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into an answer. I mean, the mystery that I was experiencing in falling in love with this woman somehow resonated with me with this mystery of this unsolvable puzzle of a quotation which unlocked in me all of the unsolvable questions and desires and realities of life which opened me up to receive a strange story that Jesus tells about some future end of the world and his return. Except this time with the caution not to seek the answers because you could not live them now. I mean, part of watching and waiting and working I think involves that being patient with all that is unsolved in your heart. Being patient with all that is unsolved in our world. All of the, the doubt and the chaos, the, the not understanding, the disappointed expectations, the wondering why, even the joyful surprises and unmaking sense of falling in love itself. Jesus is inviting a kind of a patience. A patience that is expecting that Jesus will show up. That that we know when we don't. In whom, how, we don't know. How it will satisfy us. What it will be like. How we will be changed. How this world will be changed. I put that all into the unknowable category. The unknowable and yet somehow experienceable. These are things that we taste and touch 
in worship, in the singing of hymns, in the gathering with other believers, with the sharing of communion. And now that these things are missing, there can feel this great yawning void. I mean, that great yawning void is something that the people that this gospel was written to understood very deeply. I mean, in the, in the recent events, the, the just on the last episode version of this gospel, these people had known the, an utterly devastating war between Judean rebels, Jewish rebels from the Roman Empire, and ultimately the destruction of Jerusalem and the, the destruction of the temple, which was the center of religious life. Even for Christians, this destruction was a huge, traumatic shock. I mean, we can maybe imagine it in the traumatic shock of no longer gathering together, of worship disappearing and going on online, on the internet, on a video, I'm on your TV. I never expected to be a YouTube star. These traumas are, are known. They're unknowable, but they are known by others centuries ago. And Jesus himself and the writers of this gospel spoke the best grace that they could, the best encouragement and love that it's hard now. But it will end. Christ will return and will gather all of the scattered will find all of the lost, will heal all of the wounds, will restore everything. Healing and reconciliation and joy are the future. It will show up in the present. Watch for it. Wait for it. Work for it. Doing all of those things knowing that ultimately it doesn't depend on you but depends on the one in whom we place our trust. So maybe during this Advent, start to imagine what the end of this pandemic will be like. We don't know exactly when it will be, and it probably won't happen all at once for everyone at the same time, depending on our own assessments of the risk and what's happening in our own neck of the woods and whether we get the vaccine and et cetera, et cetera. But with all of that that we don't know, we do know that the p pandemic will end. We will gather together again. Life will return to not a normal normal, but a new normal. What do you want to be new about that normal? What do you want to be watching and waiting and working for? What have you learned that you want to integrate into that new life and that new normal? And what do you need to start doing right now to make sure you are ready to hit the ground running when it all finally ends and the new begins.
I mean, I'll share a little bit more about this in my newsletter article for December, but I am just all the more appreciative of the people in my life who I am separated from. Even my friends who live, you know, a couple of minutes away from me, who I see still online, but miss them terribly. I've come to appreciate the, the, how my very survival as a creature depends on these connections. And I want to be committed to strengthening those connections, not just with the people I already know, but to be part of a world and part of a church that is strengthening those connections all the more. Jesus promises that when he returns, there will be a great gathering. So some of the work that I want to be about is gathering here and now, preparing for that great day when we finally can gather in person. And the watching, the waiting, that's what balances out the work that helps me know it's not completely up to me that I'm not the only one in the world working towards that end, but there is a, a great Jesus Christ who long before I was born began that work, continued that work that was begun in creation, and long after me will be doing the same around tables like these, tables like yours, in neighborhoods like the ones that we live in and work in and go to school in and drive through. Watch. I'm going to be watching for how gathering is happening. I'm going to be waiting for that day of great regathering. I'm going to be working for that end of gathering people. What are you watching for? waiting for, working for. Let these four weeks of Advent be that time of discerning, of beginning, recommitting to that work for the sake of the great and glorious day of the return of Christ our beloved. Thanks be to God.